News. 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 New York City. FAQ. Welcome to FAQ NYC. My name is Alex Brooklyn. I'm here with Harry Siegel, Professor Christina Greer, and Ben Max. Ben, 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 Ben Max. Ben Max, editor of Gotham Gazette and co-host of Max and Murphy, which is a podcast Wednesdays at 5 p.m. on WBAI. Today, or rather tonight, it is election night. Important midterm elections. These are the midterm elections, and they're big this year. As congressional campaigning reaches a blazing climax. If the radical Democrats take power, they will take a wrecking ball to our economy and to our future. The president urges election of a Republican Congress to continue his program. The Democrat agenda is a socialist nightmare. Not just nationally, but for New York. Record numbers of voters turned out today. One of the most hotly contested congressional elections in years. I am a Democrat. I'm an American patriot who votes and you're not. Nobody needs that crotch grabber in there. Uh, I used to be a uh, Republican and uh, even a member of the New York Conservative Party. But as a matter of fact, I was so appalled by uh, what is going on in our country today that for the first time I wrote, I voted straight Democrat myself. So many, in fact, that the Board of Elections had a hard time keeping working machines in every polling station. But, you know, LOL. South Brooklyn. Is there a problem with the scanners? Yeah, not a lot of sites. A ton of sites have scanners down, not working. This site, which is our largest poll site in the district, has four of five scanners down at the moment. It's midnight. It's Wednesday, it's New York, and uh, things changed here. This was a big election night. The whole country begins to await the results. The television networks have made elaborate preparations to broadcast the election returns as they come in from the different parts of the country. And it looks like the balance of power in the state, to the extent there was any fulcrum there, has just shifted all the way to the, uh, to the Democrats. Ben, what are you saying? I mean, this is a watershed moment. The Democrats have been talking for a really long time about an agenda. You name the issue, they've got a policy that they've said they want to pass if they could have full control of the state legislature and a Democrat still as governor. Governor Cuomo said he's got this lengthy agenda, but Senate Republicans keep standing in the way. So this is a game-changing election in New York with Democrats taking control of the state Senate and pretty much setting the stage for 2019 where Democrats need to put up or shut up on this long list of policies that they've been talking about. I think this is where the hard work begins, right? Now that we've got unified government, we know that the governor kept punting, just like you said, where it's like, oh, I wish I could, but I can't because, you know, these these doggone Republicans are tying my hands. And now we're going to see the intra-party conflicts between the Democrats and the priorities. Not every Democrat is a progressive Not every Democrat is left-leaning. Not every Democrat is from a district that wants sort of a progressive agenda. And so this is where the rubber is going to hit the road, where it's a little complicated, because now Andrew Cuomo has to lead and not just react. Andrea Stewart-Cousins is going to be leading the Senate. That's a big shift. What are they going to hit in the first year? Are they going to go for, uh, you know, Dream Act, for things that are maybe tougher and more controversial? Are they going to start with campaign finance reform? Like, what's your sense, Ben, of what's at the top of the agenda? 
they've been talking about this a little bit in part because it's an electoral move to say here are the top things that we want to move on right away i think they're going to pick off some low-hanging fruit like voting in election reform which obviously on election day everybody's screaming about why don't we have early voting same day registration so i think things like that are less controversial within the democratic conference and the larger democratic party in new york so they're going to pick off some of that something like the dream act might fit in there but i think there's i think there's going to be a lot of discussion among democrats and andrew cuomo's going to have a lot to say in terms of what order they are approaching things i think you know you're totally right with the the election reform just because i think a lot of new yorkers are looking at all these southern states that had two weeks of early voting, really easy absentee balloting, you know, some some of them same-day registration, um, and they're looking at New York as this quote-unquote progressive state and realizing, wait a minute, Georgia is more advanced than we are, or North Carolina, especially since today was such a disaster. Keep in mind, it's not like we had an election and, oh, it was a bad day and let's just walk away. We have more elections coming up, so it's not like these issues are going to go away anytime soon. When you start talking about the details of the policies are the assembly priorities going to line up with the senate priorities and cuomo's priorities he's got to have a a bit more concern about where the state budget is at so what are the price tags uh, go you know that are attached to some of these policies so even things like criminal justice reform where there's i think a lot of agreement on pursuing some of the broad policy devil's always in the details and we're going to see whether democrats can figure this stuff out and come together on on deals. Ben, if you want to nerd out for a minute, can you explain how it is that the budget is like half the legislative deal in New York in a way that's not quite the same as in some other states? Right. So in the first few months of the year, the governor presents his executive budget. He has a lot of power and influence. He presents his uh, executive budget very early in the year. And then they have about three months by April 1st is when they're supposed to pass a new state budget. And very often what happens in New York is that there's a lot of policy compromise jammed into that. Nobody really gets to read it before it's voted on. It's sort of a disaster. One of the best things that Mark Molinaro, from my wonky, nerdy point of view, was saying on the campaign trail was no messages of necessity to push through bills in the middle of the night. I'm not doing that. If it means the budget's a day or two late, it doesn't really matter. People should be able to read what's in it. Well, I think the general public is also hyper aware of the ways uh, these bills get passed through nationally as well, since you had a lot of grandstanding in the last two years. Not, I mean, not rightly so, but, you know, Cory Booker on Facebook Live telling people exactly how long the budget was, exactly when he got it. You have all these politicians with access to social media kind of explaining play by play, blow by blow, when when they got the budget, how much time they have to read it, or how much time they don't have to read it. Nationally, the Democrats have a veto on all legislation now, right? That, that's what having the House means, among other things. And here, where Republicans had this veto through the state Senate, it's all Democrats. And so there's a lot, I think, of built up appetite for, for like bigger changes. You know, I think if there's one good byproduct of a Trump presidency is that a lot of Democrats who were essentially asleep at the wheel— and I'm talking about voters right now, Um, they didn't necessarily know who their state legislator was. They didn't necessarily know who their state senator was. We're all of a sudden saying, wait a minute, first of all, these jobs are feeder jobs to Congress. And then second of all, these people control a ton of money and a lot of issues that are a lot more local 
to me, right, and my family, whether or not it's education or marriage equity or pro-choice and, you know, woman's right to choose or sort of reproductive issues, or and we, we can go down the list. I mean, gun control, prison reform, immigration. I mean, all of these things have a local slant to them. And I think a lot of Democrats snapped out of it and said, wait a minute. So wait, what's the IDC again? I mean, the vast majority of New Yorkers had no idea that these eight Democrats were caucusing with the Republicans and, and prohibiting not just a progressive agenda, but a big D Democratic agenda from moving forward. You just named two other things that I think the Democrats are going to unify behind and quickly pass to show they're making progress. It's the Reproductive Health Act, which codifies Roe v. Wade into New York law, and this red flag gun control bill that Cuomo was pushing and and most Democrats are behind, which would allow teachers and administrators to flag students who look like trouble and get guns out of the homes. Now, that that might get some significant pushback and and could cause them some trouble next election cycle, although on Long Island and in in the northern suburbs is probably not a problem. Where does Cuomo tap the brakes on these? He's going to tap the brakes on things that cost money. He's also potentially going to tap the brakes on things that hurt his donors, which are folks from the charter school movement and real estate. And that's another area where the rubber might meet the road, perhaps not in budget season, though, which is on rent regulations for New York. That's going to be a potentially very controversial time within the Democratic Party coming up. We talked about Democrats at the state level now having to figure all this stuff out. Democrats now taking control of the House have to figure a lot out in Washington, too, in terms of what's their approach. Are they going to launch two dozen investigations into Donald Trump and try to pick him apart in every which way? Are they are they going to try to work across the aisle a little bit and get some stuff done that in Mm -hmm. a year and a half it's going to be around the corner when they have to run again? where they want to be able to go back to their districts and not just say, hey, we got Trump's tax returns, but hey, we actually got some stuff done. Right, because, I mean, the Democrats cannot afford to just say, like, we don't like Trump. I mean, in 2020, that's not enough. But I think before we get to that conversation, the real conversation is who's going to lead the Democrats? Because you've got all these young whippersnappers coming into Congress from across the country, super diverse group in a lot of ways. But, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, 28, Max Rose, 31. He's not a progressive Democrat. She's a Democratic Socialist. You've got Delgado, who's coming in early 40s. So, listen, Nancy Pelosi is not to be trifled with. However, a lot of people believe you did a fantastic job 10 years ago with Barack Obama. It might be time to step aside because the Republicans just have to show your face and they can raise millions of dollars in in a moment. And so I really do think that there's going to be a tension between the leadership question in D.C. and how does that go? I mean, Max Rose and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez both said that they're not definite Nancy Pelosi supporters. They didn't say absolutely not, but they were like, well, we got to wait and see. Like, we, we need a conversation. This shouldn't just be a rubber stamp. That was also an electoral ploy, though, right? Yeah. Like, that was a way to distance themselves from someone who was being used as a boogie woman in right. a lot of these races. <laughs> right. To me, the, the biggest surprise of the night was uh, in Staten Island, where um, did any of you see Max Rose carrying that race? I had a lot of people who are not politicos, who are not journalists, who don't follow this stuff the way we do, emailing me in the last two weeks saying, there's an opportunity for me to go door knocking in Staten Island. Should I go or is it just a waste of time? I always believe in civic engagement. So I was like, I think you should go because also how many times do people from Manhattan actually go to Staten Island? And what Max Rose said in his acceptance speech 
was, you know, we knocked on 500,000 doors. That means he knocked on a half of a million doors. Now, not obviously not just him, but a lot of surrogates. By the time-honored political handshake and timeless political diplomacy, candidates woo every voter. We had a conversation about what must that be like to have, you know, these Manhattan folks knocking on these doors in Staten Island. First of all, Staten Island is a little more diverse than I think a lot of people no, especially the northern part. You know, you've got African-American electeds, you've got African electeds, and I think there's some class diversity that would probably shock some folks. And I think he did, like, the retail politics that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez did, and I think that made a world of difference. I mean, I was along the North Shore today, and, uh, you know, the people were coming out in force. One guy I talked to said that he has never seen it like this before. Mm-hmm. Not not ever. Uh that he's so proud he was like so proud he was dressed up full suit just to give information and it was just like he was beaming the turnout has been good matter of fact it's been great even with the bad weather people are still coming out and doing their civic duty and i'm proud i'm very proud to see how many people are coming out and doing their civic duty in this bad weather. But, you know, he's also a veteran, and Staten Island has a lot of veterans, too. And so maybe there are some, you know, there were about 15% of the, when they did the last poll, 15% were undecided. And so some of those folks, um, especially if they're veterans, might actually just be willing to entertain the idea of voting for a Democrat in a way that before the Democrats put up individuals that just didn't make sense for that district. I think one important point in this conversation and the conversations that are going to happen over the next week and months is that we've seen this before. Democrats winning these seats does not mean that they're going to hold them. The fact that Andrew Gennardis take out Marty Golden does not mean that a Republican can't come back in two years and win that seat back. You, this, this Trump bump that Democrats have gotten is not necessarily a given. Max Rose could be a Mm one-term member of Congress easily, easily. Now, I'm not saying he will or he won't. There's so much that's going to happen between now and 2020. Can we we just say, though, that this energy that Alex was talking about, Democrats have to— like have to pull out every single busload of people and organizing tactic to get everybody out and to do this, that's not always recreatable. Not every year is going to be a wave, right? Yeah, not every year is going to have this amount of energy and this amount of determination for people to do all that door knocking. So one race we haven't touched on yet, and we've talked about a lot in recent weeks, uh, and I love your read on, is uh, Faso uh, Delgado, and where Delgado won. um, it's been called for him, and that, that's a pretty big shift in an actually competitive district, uh, you know, a little north of the city. What, what's your read on that? I, I mean, my read was similar to the Max Rose. I didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think either of those would go Democrats' way, even in this sort of wave uh, year of Trump's of Trump's election. We've got a John Faso all-star 2006 card here. Um, I, don't, I was surprised by that, even looking at that race— somewhat closely I did not think that district both of these guys Delgado and Rose are not people that had long histories and resumes in their districts and it was fascinating to to see Democrats just come out and say we're going you know we're going hard with our party and you get a bunch of moderates too saying 
this Trump Republican Party is heading in the wrong direction. So what does it say that a real moderate like John Fassett, who's been around New York politics for a long time, who I've always thought of previously as a sensible, decent guy, you know, was was embracing dog whistling, if you want to be friendly <laughs> about it. <laughs> no. Friendly about no, it. No, I'm not being friendly about it. He was embracing straight up racist ass tactics. Like, we got to stop dancing around it. Like, he went full Trump mm-hmm. and he, he went there. Yeah. So, like, if that's where Northeast Republicans are, they're going to be any of them yeah. soon. I mean, right, might be the question. Yeah, I mean, this was the issue for Dan Donovan, who was putting forward legislation to have Trump's picture in every post office to try to win his primary. Embarrassing. <laughs> Donovan totally changed his colors in this in this last election cycle wrestling with how to be a, a Republican in, in Trump's party. This well, he gave the- us some signals with Eric Garner. He gave off some smoke signals beforehand <laughs> from my vantage point. Yeah, I mean, I, I listen, I'd do anything to have been in that grand jury room, you know, and to know what Dan Donovan put forward and how he presented the evidence and to really know what the, the crux yeah. of the matter there was. But this, we saw this with Mark Molinaro. Mark Molinaro had no chance in this Trump Republican mm-hmm. Party. He didn't vote for Trump, but the New York Republican Party is very Trumpy. And so he needs his base, but he also needs to win moderates and unaffiliates. He can't I mean, you just can't do it in this right. in this climate. And right. in, and in where New York is heading to combine those two factors, the registration factor and the Trump factor. I mean, Republicans like Faso and Donovan and Molinaro are just in big trouble. Faso came a lot closer doing the full Trump than Molinaro did being the, mm-hmm. I'm a pretty decent, reasonable sounding guy. Yeah, but I mean, right. those elections are almost not comparable because of the electorate they are appealing to. Yeah. yeah, I think Trump's put, you know, Republicans in a really tight spot in states like New York because either you double down with racist dog barking or you try and toe the middle um, but there's no real space for you Um, and that R next to your name is going to just cut off a lot of people who would be willing to even entertain something that you're saying I I think some of Molinaro's policies made a lot of sense but the R just deleted him from a lot of people's analysis one one race that wasn't very competitive in November but uh but is actually a really impressive uh, impressive win was uh was in the attorney general race yeah, well, Tish James becomes the first African-American woman to win statewide in the state of New York, which is, you know, known as a blue and progressive state. Um, I think we still have a, a long way to go when, A, it comes to women being elected statewide, B, people of color being elected statewide, and C, definitely women of color, most specifically black women being elected statewide. Um, you know, we've seen lieutenant governors here and there sort of sprinkled. We had some wins tonight. But this is a huge deal, especially because she has pledged uh, very vocally to go after Donald Trump and sort of many of his ill practices, not just in New York State, but, you know, things that he did in the past before he became president and possibly some things that he's doing now. This is There's a fascinating dichotomy with Tish James now. She immediately becomes a national, if not international, name when she was the public advocate of New York City two minutes ago, still is for But again, months. first African-American woman, woman elected yeah. citywide no, no. In, I mean, in New York. Her resume yeah. now is unbelievable. I mean, first woman of color went citywide in New York City and statewide in New York is, is an unbelievable. Uh, and now she will be a national figure, if not international. But 
So that'll be the whole Trump angle is going to be enormous for her. There's how much is she in debt to Cuomo? She's somebody who's always had trouble raising money. Yeah, Yeah, no, that's I mean, that's the other angle is where closer to home, where is she going to land on being an independent voice around state and local issues, corruption in government? That's been the big question around her since the primary. And now through the general is, is she too much a part of the, you know, democratic infirmament to uh, firmament to be independent? She's clearly going to go after Trump and become that that national figure when it comes closer to home. What's she going to do? But she backed off swamp and Albany talk quite a bit in the uh, primaries. Well, in the debates, I mean, she gave a shout out to all the wonderful people in Albany. She doesn't want anything to do with that. No, not at all. And I think that that's a real concern. You know, the job is definitely going to be difficult. But, you know, if she wants to run again in four years, she's got to make sure that it's not about Trump, 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 because there's still some real problems in Albany. But, you know, if she wants to run again in four years, she's got to make sure that it's not about Trump, 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 because there's still some real problems in Albany. I mean, we've gotten some new blood that's going in and it's exciting but you know Cuomo you know he leans on the line of legality sometimes and not saying that he's a, a line stepper but you know he'll 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 hit the ropes every now and again and They're I public think public information laws and he uses Blackberry to dodge them his campaign people were openly excuse me his political his government people were openly nakedly campaigning mm-hmm. the whole time that's not teasing the edges of the law. That's not giving a damn. Mm. No, he, I mean, he and been will no blur and do, blur lines and do, really, I mean, we've seen with him, he'll do whatever he wants. I mean, he, right. this is not someone who thinks that consequences really apply to him. Uh, he's the most powerful person in New York and he acts he's like He's right. He, he won by 30 points. He smeared Cynthia Nixon in like this really vile way at the end of the campaign, or excuse me, the Democratic Party he controls it. Uh, frequently with Cuomo, it's the, these appendages where he controls the boards, he controls the money, yeah. and then I, I have nothing to do with those people when things go bad. But there have been no consequences. He's been reasonably competent, and he's been easily reelected now. But see, that's what Tish needs to recognize. There are no consequences for Cuomo, but there might be consequences for her. And so if she wants to co-sign on his agenda whether implicitly or explicitly the voters will most likely punish her because it seems as though Cuomo as I've said before raised in captivity in Albany seems to know every nook and cranny of that place and he's always um, he's like a casino he always wins (laughs) (laughs) and if you cross him it's game time for you and she knows that and two two things on her I think we need to give her credit. She's going to go into this office and fight for the little person. I do yes, believe all that day, that every is day. true. She's going to fight for people who are being ripped off. You know, the attorney general's office is often forgotten that it has all these bureaus and it's about consumer protection, the environment, and criminal justice, and she's going to do all that. The, the question around James is whether she wants anything to do with the political oversight, and it's very unlikely. She wasn't even dealing with Andrew Cuomo. She was dealing with Bill de Blasio as public advocate, mm-hmm. who you cross him, nothing's, nothing's going to happen to you. This <laughs> is not Andrew Cuomo. you cross him, you can't go to the YWCA in Brooklyn. And she didn't even <laughs> really mess with Bill de Blasio, right. her claims to the contrary. So this is not someone, she's close with Carl Hasty, the assembly speaker. She's not looking to ruffle any feathers. She is looking to go after Trump and do the other parts of the job, like I said, fighting for 
the average New Yorker working, you know, work working rights. class women. She'll, 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 do she'll that. fight to the death for those people. I mean, she talked a lot about rents, and when she was in office, or she's still in office, but when uh, one of the biggest things she did as public advocate was really start fighting for the families of incarcerated and a lot of the female incarcerated uh, women at Rikers who had no outside body mm-hmm. in which to anonymously complain or to report sexual assault mm-hmm. or any infraction whatsoever outside of the jail. She's she's the one that set that up. Right. I mean, listen, I think that we're all in agreement that she's going to push forward a progressive agenda that's going to help a lot of sort of quote unquote, I hate the term forgotten New Yorkers, but you know, because I mean, they, they're not forgotten, neither are their problems. But you know, people that just oftentimes don't make it to the front pages or even the, the front 30 pages of a newspaper. Well, certainly I, not the New York Post. Or the New York Times. I mean, come on. If they write one more piece, like, oh my gosh, look at this Nazi white supremacist. And they wear cargo pants. They're so cute. I'm so over the New York Times with that nonsense. Side note. So anyway, but I do think, though, that this, now that Tish has been, uh, now that she's won her election, and many of the outlets are going to be talking about the postmortem, what happened across the 50 states, there are going to be lots of local reporters who want to talk about the public advocates race because we've already had what three people officially declare right so state assembly member michael blake uh nomi comps and uh city council member jumani williams all, all y'all who are listening and thank you jumani for coming on already we're going to have an open house um and there'll be about three hours for all 17 of you to come by to talk with us to talk with each other uh because this is going to be a wildly crowded field and that's a big reason why people another big reason people were pushing for Tish because in this game of musical chairs this opens everything up well I mean it not just opens it up for the public advocates race but it opens it up for certain people to run for mayor right and because removing Tish from public advocate opened up the public advocate seat but it also removed her from wanting to run for mayor that Andrea Stewart Cousins to go back to our conversation about Tish James and first woman of color Mm -hmm. elected statewide Andrea Stewart Cousins woman of color is going to be leading the state senate the three or four men in a room is no longer going to be the three men in the room she's going to be in there it'll be very interesting to see what kind of impact she has and whether she tries to blow those doors wide open mm-hmm. uh and you or know, if we see what tends to happen when women show up and people of color show up it's like all of a sudden the goalpost moves so i'm curious to see what meeting before the meeting starts to happen also with the three men in a room well and andrew cuomo is always playing his puppeteering whether it's with right. the assembly senate the idc mm-hmm. whatever it might be so their relationship is going to be very interesting to watch, uh, as well as the relationship between Carl Hasty in the Assembly and Andrew Stewart-Cousins in the Senate. And maybe there's a little bit of a power play there where they're pushing Andrew Cuomo. Wouldn't mm-hmm. that be refreshing? I mean, I see, you know, she's big on going after slumlords, but how big is she going after some of the more ingrained uh, real estate guys that don't have to do with Trump, but have to do, you know, with Cuomo? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I think a, a lot of these folks... You know, they have their own campaigns that they need to run and they have their own different ways of fundraising. So I, I think the the various intra-party coalitions that 
could form will be fascinating, right? Do we see Cuomo sort of choosing hasties and saying like, okay, the two of us can get something done. Let's box Andrew Stewart-Cousins out. Do we see him putting on the charm offensive with Andrew Stewart-Cousins? Let's let bygones be bygones. What do you need? I'm here to work with you. Or do we see uh, the legislative body banding together and going against the executive? I mean, it could shake out in a multitude of ways, depending on the issue. I mean, I think a lot of voters honestly forgive a little bit, uh, forgive a lot of real estate corruption, especially with Cuomo, you know, because they figure that you got to lay down in the dirt to get things done for the every man, and you have to wheel and deal with some fat cats in order to do it. It's kind of like, how dirty can you get uh, with while, while still trying to look out for the little guy? The new state Senate candidates who won, right? They had small money. They have like motivated volunteers. And let me tell you, like that many people losing in primaries, that's like 20 years of incumbents losing at any level in those legislative seats. Those are like sinecures. When you take the people that beat the IDC and the people that now flip Republican seats, you're talking about like a third of the state Senate is brand new Democrats. And that's going to be fascinating with a new leader. And and not beholden to the same type of... (laughs) Alex always says the word fat cat, and I love it. But they're not <laughs> beholden to the same fat cats, right? And they're also coming with a different framework of what they think the institution and the body could and should be. Um, some of them are starry-eyed and not yet jaded, but I think some of them are really excited because they're, they've been given an opportunity and the privilege of reimagining what our democracy could look like. And I think that they're they're eager to sort of hit the ground running. And the ones that beat the IDC, though, are coming in not really having to worry about basically ever losing again as right. long as they, you know, as long as they don't, like, fall down some corruption right. rabbit hole. And, hey, they're gonna it's be Albany. You, can, you might be able to fall down that rabbit hole and you might Harry, be fine still. Do, do you want to say your favorite joke? Oh, As Lord long as they mercy. don't end up with a... Live boy what? or a dead girl. Is That's Harry's members. favorite joke. Favorite joke. Every live, episode. Live uh, Alex, girl or dead boy every, or I, dead boy or live girl. You didn't know this because Alex kept editing it out, and I finally put it in a context with no idea I've been repeating it or that she'd been editing out where she was unable to. And she's like, "Damn it, you got it through." <laughs> but Alex does York. say "fat cat" every. <laughs> also, the coop. They had a song. What have we here? Which is a great, a great fucking song. Well, Boots is back in a big way. I just want to say that on King's Highway, at the gas station, this is on target. Um, (laughs) At the gas station, at the intersection of King's Highway Highway and um, and Flatbush, I think, right? Because they get on weird angles and they intersect. There's this big-ass gas station, and there's this sign, Chicken Eggs. It's handwritten at a gas station, fresh from the coup, C-O-U-P. And it's one of my favorite things in the world. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful type. That's all. Because <laughs> that's right on. Because right on. I've not a chicken it coop. It's a chicken it. coop. Well, the, the chickens are taken over. They came home to, to roost. <laughs> I don't think they'll mind if I use that song to outro us. Like nationally, there were some really big races where Huge. it looks like the Democrats fell just short. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been observing a couple of them closely. I'd love your, your your thoughts on how the night went there. Right. Well, as of now, it is 108. It is still too early to call Georgia. I mean, people were in line at 1145 at night. Uh, the NAACP sued. Um, <laughs> Brian Kemp, Stacey Abrams' opponent in the state of Georgia, to keep certain polling stations open. We know that today was 
gross incompetence and so many instances of voter suppression across the state, which we knew would happen, right? Um, the person that Stacey Abrams is running against just so happens to be the person that controls all the voting machines, all the polling stations. Funny how certain polling stations had the machines, but no plugs, right? No outlets to plug them. I mean, it's just the whoppers. I mean, the theft right in broad daylight was just incredible in the true sense of the word. However, that race has not been called yet. Um, I think the heartbreaker for a lot of people is Florida with Andrew Gillum, who at the time seemed like he actually was going to eat by, but you know, Florida gubernatorial races are always about a percentage point off, but many people thought that he was going to be victorious. Um, even though they've had a uh, Republican uh, governor for the past two terms, explicitly winning by one percentage point. Um, and they were hoping that he would be able to pull Bill Nelson also in his coattails. Um, and that didn't seem like that happened. Uh, and he's, he's already given his concession speech. I mean, the good thing is the prop four restoring, um, voting rights to formerly incarcerated individuals did pass. And so that helps out 1.5 million citizens of Florida. Unfortunately, it's a day late and a dollar short. Yeah. I think that we need to have a real conversation about, you know, the Bradley effect that possibly happened. And for those of you who may not remember, the Bradley effect is Tom Bradley, the former mayor of LA, who was running for governor of California and the polls had him up by what, 10, 15 percentage points. And everyone just knew that California was going to get their first black governor and he loses terribly spectacularly um that didn't happen to, to Gillum losing spectacularly but he did lose when the polls sort of said you know winds of change like he could be the when first black governor the the Bradley called the Hillary effect no it's different because the Bradley effect was white folks said that they were going to vote for Bradley and mm -hmm. then at the end of the day when the rubber hits the road Bradley loses and when you do the postmortem you realize badly. White folks say one thing and then vote the other way. Or like what, men and, so, and Hillary. That, but see, that's it's actually more of a Trump effect, not a Hillary effect, where there were more people who said like, oh, I'm not going to vote for Trump. And then they sure enough voted for Trump. And so leading up to the election, they're like, no, 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 I don't know this guy. I mean, he's, he's a sham. And then, you know, in certain places around the country, you saw people sort of say, oh, well, I don't know. I mean, he's a businessman, whatever it may be. Oh, so yeah. needless to say, that's that's the wrap on the Bradley effect. And that's. Um, I think what happened to Gillum um, and he just, he, he just didn't have it. Now also let's also remember we are still voting without the full protection of the voting rights act. I mean, and that affects voters in Florida and as, as well as voters across the, the, the country. But I mean, this is 1965 LBJ, you know, helps usher through the, the voting rights act and since it was working and we saw, you know, larger numbers of African-Americans and poor folks actually, you know, showing up to the polls, that's when the Supreme Court was like, oh, yeah, it's working. So we don't need any more. Let's take it away. And we've seen it's had real adverse effects to a lot of communities. 2013, 2013 precedent setting case made it so that nine states, mostly in the South, could change their election laws without advanced federal approval. So what do you think happened there? What do you think happened there? Does any of you guys have and professor have a <laughs> professor any, any of you guys and professor uh have a, a a last takeaway my last takeaway is that this is still andrew cuomo's new york and we're all living in it and he's got his democratic legislature that he now needs to figure out how to deal with but this is a guy who despite running the subways into the ground and having corruption all around him has won again by big margins in the primary and the general and is just 
king of the world and now it's on to term three and seeing who's going to hold him accountable who's going to make him fulfill his promises i hear you on the andrew cuomo's new york but i think the difference is as you just said you've got a third of you know the senate coming in uh and they were elected by a very eager populace in some ways new york might be a canary in the mine on how does one try and overcome a very overbearing executive and so how new york deals with andrew cuomo might be a very fascinating case study for how the other states could deal with trump different characters but similar in some of their dna you know queen's boys run deep um but i think nationally uh you know, Democrats get the House. It'll be curious to sort of see what their primary agenda will be. I'm very curious to see who they'll choose as their leader. And so I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people waking up or who will wake up tomorrow and realize it's like, is 50% of this country, like, really okay with, like, blatant racism, sexism, anti-Semitism, misogyny, xenophobia? Like, you name it. I think that's what's... There's some real glimmers of hope for some people as far as inclusion and moving forward. But I think that there are a lot of people who are really... um, scared and worried and sad because of some of the wins in some of these states and some of the campaigns that were run by some of these Republicans. I think uh, I think people are kind of waking up to the fact that we can't just keep being outraged at the fact that there's half the country don't think the way we think um, and that the president is clearly using every kind of hyperbolic rhetoric at his disposal in order to you know, whether it's to just, you know, poke the lion's paw or whether it's actually what he believes, it doesn't even matter. It, doesn't it is matter. it is excusable to half the country. Can half the country thinks it's okay. Mm-hmm. And and I I'm just no longer outraged or shocked about that. It's just strategy now. It's worth saying, right, that despite Trump and all he's done and all he's said in some of the uh low approval numbers, his approval has actually creeped back up. And this was a very normal midterm, first midterm mm-hmm. election year, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't some crazy no. blue wave. It's not a tsunami. So it wasn't even a wave. This it abnormal was, president yeah. got this very normal election mm-hmm. that reinforces a lot of what he's been up to. Mm-hmm. It's not some disaster for Republicans. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting that we're talking about Donald Trump as president. And this midterm was basically like what you would get Man, with just yeah. about any other president. It's like, that's just, this is, this is what the business looks like. Um, I think that's frightening for some people because their expectations were off, um, you know. But I do think also, voter suppression is real in this country. Voter fraud, not so much. Voter suppression, sure thing. Um, and I think that there are a lot of states that have been working very hard for quite some time to make sure that either folks are gerrymandered out. But what we saw across the country, you know, having someone wait in line for four and a half hours is a form of voter suppression. You know, not just, oh, my ballot wasn't there, there were no plugs, but this, you know, moving polling stations a mile away from a bus stop, that's voter suppression. What I love about the lowered barriers to entry and the real problems with that, that's how Donald Trump is qualified to run for president and then to win, is that you have these people who are not waiting their turns. And this can be inspirational, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, Mrs. Ocasio-Cortez is the new Mr. Smith going to Washington. Mm -hmm. And people can organize and advocate for themselves. It just it takes a lot of work, and you have to do it locally. And that's the heartening part of seeing all these people show up in an election in New York where there isn't a goddamn thing mm-hmm. for them to vote for. There's seven bullshit judges for seven mm-hmm. slots. Right. And they're still showing up because there's a sense that, that either you participate or this all falls apart. I right. think that's something to really build on. 
If Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the new Mr. Smith goes to Washington, I think we should call her and ask her to do a Jimmy Stewart impression, and I think she will. Get up there with that lady that's up on top of this Capitol Dome, that lady that stands for liberty. I'm going to leave this in the podcast, and, uh, you know, hopefully she'll when hear it. Yeah, when she's, she's, she's listening. When she's listening. Oh, she's, yeah, call us. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. And you won't just see scenery. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. And fighting for something better than just jungle so he can stand on his own two feet free and decent like he was created. No matter what his race, color, or creed. There's no place out there for graft or greed or lies or compromise with human liberties. And that, if that's what the grown-ups have done with this world that was given to them, then we better get those boys camps started fast and see what the kids can do. Slip Before you head to Washington. DM us on Instagram. And talk to us in all seriousness when you do about organizing and about uh, leveraging. Organizing because you did that very locally and very directly in this incredible and compelling way. And about leveraging because you had political capital that you had to spend. Um, and if you didn't, it went away, and you thought about the people who brought you and who you wanted to spend it on and how. I'd love to have a focused conversation with you about that uh, because I think I love you how are Harry inspirational. Just started talking directly to just right to, just right to her. Well, you but know what? You know Congress what I want? Person elect. <laughs> right. yeah, you know what I want? I want her shoes to be in a museum. Yes. I'm serious. Yeah. Like she showed a picture of her shoes on Twitter or Instagram or something like that, and. You could tell. And I mean, same with, you know, similar to Max Rose. But, you know, she walked all over that district. And so to become the youngest woman to go to Congress at the age of 28, I want these shoes to be in a museum because she's Latinx. She's 28 years old. She unseated someone who was in in uh, office for two decades, didn't even bother coming home. Um, to campaign. And I think that the shoes represent a certain level of hard work that uh, is inspirational and aspirational for a lot of people. It'll be interesting to see how someone like her and someone like Max Rose meet up on issues. You know, he had to be a little bit of an old school uh, centrist Democrat to Mm -hmm. win where he won. I talked to a guy outside the polling station. I was sure he was a Trump supporter. Most Trump supporters just ran away from me when I was like, can I interview you for my podcast? Blah, 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 blah. So he comes up and I was like, yes, I finally got one. And he starts talking to me and and I'm like, oh, well, which way do you vote? If you don't mind me asking. He goes, I did Democrat down the line because I'm labor all the way. I think Max has a chance. I think he shot himself in the foot by saying, make New York a sanctuary city. I think a lot of people are fed up with immigration. I mean, who pays for it? You, me, not the one percenter. And, and that's the issue I have with immigration from all over the world. Stop. Stop. It's like a big soup. Too many ingredients, no flavor. So it was very interesting to me. He really represented a lot of the issues that Democrats are having, keeping people in the party in boroughs like Staten Island. All Democrat. All Democrat. All Democrat. And so um, that, that's in, that's that's in protest to Trump. But Trump is pretty hard on immigration. Yeah, I mean, I'll give him a plus on that. But everything else, the man has no decorum. He opens his mouth and it's like taking the cap off a sewer pipe. 
smells it stinks max to max yeah you guys are winners thank you like a ton <laughs> for, for for joining us and like 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 ben giving some insight and perspective minutes after chrissy for mayor been for president. <laughs> also, uh, Alexandra, Alexandra, we want your shoes, Max. We will also take your shoes as well. Um, in fact, anyone all who Alex wants to, yeah, anyone who wants to bring their shoes here, as long as you door knocked, as long as you did some real shoe leather campaigning, I will take your shoes but, um, and I will well, hang them on my wall. That that is an unacceptable dad joke. Says the dad at the table. <laughs> one of them. Hey, 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 one of them. Hey, one of them. Come on. Thank you, Ben Max. We appreciate you. Love being here. As election day ends, the choice has been made. The nation has voted. In New York, New York, New York, New York, New York. FAQ. FAQ is brought to you by a grant from Civil, which is reinventing the economics of journalism via blockchain. We're housed at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research, and we're brought to you from Alex Brooklyn's rent-regulated apartment where the rent is not too damn high. Good night. I said hurry this thing up. I've got to get back to work. I sometimes wonder if it's worth all the trouble. You bet it's worth all the trouble, friend. Ever stop to think how things could end up if we didn't vote? Sure, sure, but the political parties run everything anyway. Well, if you had no parties, you'd have no elections. That's a joke. Why would... Well, the political parties help us to decide who's going to be on the ballot. What if everyone wanted his name on the ballot? <laughs> You'd have hundreds of names. And even if it were possible to get them all down, you wouldn't know what candidate was good or what he stood for. I guess you're right. News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. F-A-Q.